uh, today. I believe it will be 1 Corinthians uh, 5. Let's pull that up. All right. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. But what have I do with the judging of outsiders? Is it not those who inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Um, Otto Gordon, I invite you to come up. Thank Matthew for leading us through our time of prayer, and uh, Hannah and the worship team leading us through our time of worship. It's always something we do here kind of routinely, but I hope you don't take it routinely. Our time of prayer, our time of worship is calling us into the presence of God, and I pray that that's where we find ourselves this morning, squarely in his presence. Okay, let's catch up on some of our activities here. On the far left, uh, upper and lower, are apple picking. That's rise on the top. Uh, doing apple picking in the ACF is also apple picking. In the middle column, uh, this is PCC Oakland, our sister church. Uh, the man being ordained is Pastor Lake Fong. He was ordained a few weeks ago. And uh, ordaining him is some of our former pastors. On the far left, Pastor Bucknell, who we were just praying for, who lost his mother, is on the far left. And um, not the man in the middle. Next over is um, Terrence. Terrence was a member here at P PCC who became a pastor. And then a far right with the red... Um, Dash on his robe is Pastor Caleb. He was our pastor here at PCC. So it's interesting how many people coming through PCC have become pastors who are now ordaining other pastors. It's a neat process going on. And then in our far right is our ACFers. This is um, a special bunch. Um, the ACFers love their campus. And these um, young men and women went out to campus to share the gospel. Um, they just felt on their own. They wanted to pass tracts, share about Christ, and uh, on their own initiative, I'm very thankful that they love the Lord and trying to share on campus uh, those um, who don't know Christ. In the bottom two pictures, uh, there's Kevin, his mom, and Peggy. I didn't get Peggy in this picture, but they're in Hong Kong for the next three weeks. So thankfully, uh, Jackie has a sound system up and running this morning, but we'll be without them for three weeks. This week is also mentioned Pastor Hans and his family is in Chicago ordaining his friend, uh, Pastor William Wu. So he'll be back hopefully later uh, today. Um, 
Also in that picture is Liddy. I'll let Liddy explain to you, but she won't be with us too much longer. She'll be moving on somewhere and I'll, I'll let her tell you where that is and when that is as the time goes on. Okay, these pictures. Okay, so in the top pictures, this is um, all Women's Choice Network. Some men and women went to support Women's Choice Network where they help young women, young men make decisions about their unborn children, about keeping them and loving them. So PCC is learning to um, partner with them and to work at Women's Choice Network that's right on campus uh, near Pitt and CMU. And then the bottom is a PCC dinner done by the PC congregation to honor our seniors. If you're 70 or above, I hope you're invited to this. You got to eat dim sum. And uh, those are almost all made by PCC members. And then later they heard the gospel. So very thankful for the way that um, PCC is reaching out to others, how PCC continues to think about uh, spreading Christ in many different ways. Okay, so let's review where we're at. This is our notes from last week. Pastor Hans gave us this. I'm wearing a jacket in honor of Pastor Hans. We're trying to honor the things he's doing as he's teaching us here. On the far left, the red column would be the problem. There's a problem in Corinth. This is a disunity that week. And the yellow in the middle there would be the principle. There's a principle drawn up that Paul says, you know, this is the principle we have to obey. And in the blue would kind of be the application. So you have a problem you have a principle, and you have application. And that's kind of the trend you'll see throughout 1 Corinthians. As we go through 1 Corinthians, almost every week, not every week, you're going to see us go from, let's see if we go through it here. We're going to go through a problem, a principle, and an application. Today's, as you guys read, the problem here is a judgment pronounced on a brother. And you'll find out what the brother's sin is, and that's a big problem. You'll find out what Paul's principle, he draws out from the Old Testament, what the principle is that we're to follow concerning this man. And then finally, how do you apply this principle? How do you apply taking this principle that we're taught to this man and to the church? So we'll try to follow that order uh, today. Okay, so you guys already read the text. Let me just read this one verse and then we'll open the word of prayer here. Um, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and a kind is not tolerated even among the pagans for a man has his father's wife. Okay, let's pray. This morning, Father, thank you for drawing us in your presence out of this world, out of our normal routines, to be here in your presence, to be with your people, the synagogue of people who are gathered to hear your word spoken, to sing to you, to remember the great things you've done. You've heard our prayer requests. You've heard our praise. And now we want to hear from you, Lord, from your word, what it means to be followers of Christ to administer church discipline, to love those in our presence, to discipline them in a way that brings them back to you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so as we look at this, um, there's an interesting word here. When we talk about sexual immorality, that part in blue there, it's a Greek word, porneia. And when we talk about pornography, porneia, we're talking about illicit sexual behavior. So Paul's addressing something here that's very specific. There's something going on here that is quite wrong, that's illicit, that is not to be tolerated. Am I getting a little feedback here, Jackie? It seems like I get a little feedback. Okay, thank you. That we're not to be tolerated in a way that it's completely wrong. And so the sexual immorality, the pranea, um, is incest in this particular case. And it's incest where a man has relations with his stepmother. It could be his mother. We're not 100% positive, but the way that Paul phrases it, for a man has his father's wife, it's most likely 
his stepmother. So it's a pretty grievous sin. I mean, there's a lot of bad things to be going on. And we think about Corinth. Uh, Pastor Hans taught us about Corinth. Corinth is a liberal city. It's a port city. There's hundreds of thousands of people here. There are a lot of idolatry going on. There's a lot of temple prostitution going on. They're doing a lot of bad things, but they're not even doing this. Even the pagans, even the Corinthians, as bad as they are, are not sleeping with their parents. But here you are having this man having relations with his mother, or his stepmother, and you guys are tolerating. And Paul's calling him out. Here there, in verse 1, you are actually report. I reported that there's sexual immorality among you. Okay? So Paul gets right to the point. <clears throat> and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn. So instead of calling this in out like Paul is doing, they're saying, hey, you know what? We're open-minded. We're not judgmental. We tolerate people. We accept this. We're just like the Corinthians. You know, we just accept anything. And so you can kind of see how this relates to our society today where we're open-minded. We want to have tolerance. We want to have flags flying outside our church of all different colors. And Paul's saying, you know what? You're arrogant about the wrong things. You are taking pride in the sin that's going on. And that is a wrong way to handle it. And we see the sexual tolerance all around us, and it's not to come inside our church. The reason why we're inside our church is because we obey the word of God. Not that we obey culture, not that we obey peer pressure, not that we obey what our government is telling us. We're here because we stand on the word of God, and there's no compromise. And the, the Corinthians, unfortunately, were not standing on God's word. They were saying, you know what? We'll go with the culture. That's more important. And they were arrogant and prideful about it. So Paul goes on to tell them, okay, let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So Paul is not going to tolerate it. The Corinthian church tolerates it. The Corinthian church is embracing it. And we're prideful that look at us, look how progressive we are. Paul says, no, that is not the one I'm going to say. I pronounce judgment. Now, not condemnation. It's a little different here. It's not condemning. He's not throwing them out to hell for damnation. He's just saying judgment. I'm judging between right and wrong. I'm judging between whether you're following God's word or not following God's word. And here he's going back to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 says, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You're not to have any sexual relations with your close relatives. You should not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. Chapter 18 goes on to talk about all kinds of illicit, pornea type of relations. It's all over that chapter. It's very clear. The Corinthians should have known this. The Corinthians should be familiar with God's word, that this is not tolerated in God's body, that this type of behavior has no place in the church. And so Paul quickly condemns them for their behavior. Okay, so let's keep going on what Paul says. Go to verse four. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. So he's talking to very specific people here. When you are assembled, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord, and, and my spirit is present in the power of our Lord Jesus. He's appealing to them. There's something special here. When you guys are assembled, when you guys came in here, there's nothing special about this building, bless you, but there's something special when you're assembled here. When you guys are here, when you guys are assembled together, 
when you're here singing to the Lord, when you're praying together, when you are in the um, spirit of the Lord and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, he's saying, this is like a synagogue. This is a synagogue. We don't often refer to Christian gatherings as a synagogue. That's what Paul uses the Greek word synagogue here, that when you guys are assembled here, you're a special assembly. There's something special going on here. This is not your average gathering. This is not a social gathering. This is something done in the power of the Lord Jesus and the spirit is present. That's so what I'm going to hear me say over and over this morning is that you are covered here. You're covered here by the blood of Christ. You here that know the Lord are in a synagogue, in a special place under the power of Christ, the power of the spirit. So don't walk in here casually. Don't walk in here and think I can just walk in here and not expect anything to happen. When you guys are here under God's word, in the presence of other believers, and the spirit is here, something is here. It's not us. It's the spirit of God. It's Christ in our presence. It's the spirit changing us. Okay, so understand who we are, understand who we're covered by, and then what? He, he lays it on them. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow, what is he saying here? I mean, we don't often see the Apostle Paul say, deliver someone over to Satan to deliver this man for the destruction of the flesh. I mean, that's pretty hard language. It's not like, well, just try to talk to this guy, try to get him out of his sin. No, there's something very strong going on, on here. And you don't see this often in scripture when he says, turn this man over to Satan. We see it one other time in 1 Timothy, we turn to the Hymaeus and Alexander, hand, this man, hand them over to Satan that they may no longer blaspheme. So there's a few times he says it, but not often. So when he says it, it should catch our attention that you hand, uh, this, deliver this man over to Satan. Okay, so when you're saying this, for the destruction of the flesh, some people would say, oh, kill them. Destroy the flesh, kill them. But that really wouldn't be consistent with the rest of the verse, so his spirit may be saved. So it's probably not kill them, let, let them die, but hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So we take them from the sacred assembly. We take them from this protection. We take them from this idea where we are assembled under Christ. And you take them and you put them outside. You put them out of the church. You put them outside in the world for destruction of their old nature. When you are outside in the world, you're under the rule of Satan. When you go out some body believers outside of Christ, God has given Satan power over this world. That's why we see the wars going on. That's why we see all the destruction in the world. We saw all the hatred and the bitterness and the dis, uh, destruction. Of, we talked about babies and children in the world. That's because Satan controls this world. In that sense, God has given not complete sovereignty, but is under his rule. So when you take this man from the synagogue and you put him outside the synagogue, you put him outside the assembly of believers, you're basically handing him over to Satan. You're not supposed to be part of this assembly anymore. When you're in this kind of gross sin, this pernea, you're outside. Put him out. He doesn't belong with you anymore. He belongs with Satan. But remember, that's not the end of the process. When you take him out of the synagogue, put him outside the church, his spirit might be saved for eternal life. In the day of the Lord, you're going to actually save this guy. So it's not just to destroy him. It's not just throw him out. It's also for his um, salvation and that his spirit might be saved and he has eternal life. There's a process going on. Okay, so you kind of understand today's sermon. If you got that much of today's sermon, you probably understand what I'm going to talk to you about for the next few minutes. But that's the principle. Paul lays it out. 
there's a problem here, take that problem, put it outside the church. Okay, so that, that's the problem. Next part we talk is the rationale. The rationale is the principle. So what principle is Paul using to do this? Paul, how dare you do this? How dare you take someone out from our congregation and put them out? What is the principle that you're using? Okay, so let's read it again. This is six through eight. We'll go over this a couple of times. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as a really you are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let's therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so Paul's giving us a principle here from the Old Testament. I highlighted blue again. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Paul's talking about our assembly, our synagogue, our purity here, putting the man out, and then all of a sudden he jumps to the Passover. Like, uh, what are you doing here, Paul? Why, why are you talking about the Passover? The Passover doesn't seem to have anything to do with the principle and the problem that's ongoing here in Corinth. But if you follow me, I, I think there is a reason why he does this. You guys remember Passover. Passover was the time when Israel is enslaved by the Egyptians and God is getting them out of the Egyptian slavery. It's the 10th plague that comes, right? The last one, the very last one is finally going to get Israel out from the slavery in Egypt. And the 10th one was um, the angel of death coming to all of Egypt, right? But to be spared from the angel of death, you took a male lamb, an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb. You slay that lamb. You take the blood of that lamb and you cover your lintels, you cover your doorposts. You take that blood and everyone covered by the blood of the lamb, everyone under the protection of the blood of the lamb, they would not lose their firstborn son. Okay. So there's an idea that when you are covered by the blood, you're under the blood, you have this perfect blood covering your household, your household is safe. Basically your little synagogue under the blood of the lamb. You're in Christ, you're under the protection of that lamb. Now, if you're not under that protection, if you're not covered by the blood, if you're not in a synagogue, you're outside. And outside of the um, houses that were protected is the curse, is death, is God saying you are going to suffer punishment. This is condemnation. This is judgment coming. So either in one or two places, either you're covered by the blood of the lamb or you're outside. There's only two places to be in Egypt right now. And again, one more time, if you're covered by that blood, you're safe. If you're not covered by the blood, you're going to lose your firstborn. You're going to lose your firstborn cow, firstborn sheep, your firstborn son. Everything firstborn is going to die. As God's saying, be covered. He's teaching us a very important principle. Now, how does that apply to us today? So we understand the principle now that you're covered by the blood here. Okay, so here we are covered by the blood. And I told you already that this blood is really symbolic of Christ. When you're covered by this blood, it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. You took that perfect, unblemished male sheep, you took that blood and you covered it, you know, your house. But really what we're talking about is the blood of Christ. Sorry that came out a little bit light. That, that's Christ there on the uh, cross. You're actually covered by Christ's blood. You're actually purified by him. You're safe in him. And really what you're saying here, you're in the synagogue now because of Christ. The reason that you guys are here, 
The reason you guys are pulled out of the world, the reason why you guys are safe, the reason you guys have eternal life, the reason why you're protected is because of Christ, of his blood, his being shed. It's not anything we've done. It's not how, how good we are. It's not how much we obey the Lord. It's never about us. It's always about Christ. And when you're in Christ, covered by his blood, you're in a synagogue. This is the, this is the principle Paul's trying to talk about. When you talk about Passover, you got to think about Christ. You got to think about what Christ has done. So the same principle is true now, is that either you're in the synagogue, either covered by Christ, or you're outside. It's one of the two. Covered by Christ, you're fine. You're not covered by Christ, you're outside. You suffer death, condemnation, judgment. And it's a very simple principle that Paul's drawing from the Old Testament about Passover. So when you understand Passover, you understand what Paul's teaching us here. Okay, so that's the principle. How does Paul apply that principle to the Corinthians? Let's take a look. Okay, here's the principle again. Um, in blue here, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven, and then in verse 8, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So now he's talking about bread. Now he's talking about yeast. Now he's talking about how yeast goes through the whole bread and kind of contaminates all, all the bread. So let's see, we can put this all together here. There's an idea that um, a little leaven um, leavens the whole lump. When you have a little bit of sin, we can substitute the word sin in here for leaven. So a little sin brings the whole lump sin. Cleanse out the old sin. And in verse 8, with the uh, purity or the holiness of that bread, have sincerity and truth. So when you look at leaven there, just think about sin. Either you're sinful, which is the leaven, or you're sinless, which is unleavened. Okay, so you're in one of those two camps. So he's trying to draw it all together for us. And I hope I'm not going too far off topic here, but when we talk about the Passover, there's something that every house did during Passover. When you celebrate Passover, there's something that you're supposed to do. And that's basically, you're supposed to literally clean your house. So I went to Google, you guys can't see, it's a little bit small here, but they have these little charts for children. So the children, you're supposed to go to your shelves and clean their shelves. Children, you're supposed to go to your toy chest and clean out your toy chest. Children, you're supposed to go to your desk and clean out your desk. And so they give all these rules to children to clean out everything in their house. And so they're trying to teach the little Jewish children, when Passover comes, clean out everything in your house, get all the dust out. And of course, the adults did the same thing. The adults are supposed to clean everything in the house. So when you think of Passover, I want you to think about cleaning house. When it comes, out with the old, in with the new. We're taking out all the dust, all the dirt, all the contaminants inside your house and put them outside your house. That's a primary principle of Passover. When it comes, you clean house. Um, sometimes here, I don't remember, uh, Jay, we had that Seder dinner, that, that special dinner remembers all the things, but this is one of the things you're supposed to remember during Passover, that you need to clean house. And when you clean house, you take out, again, all the, all the dust and the dirt, get rid of it. And when we exercise church discipline, when we take that leaven, we take the sin and put it outside the church, that's Passover. We're doing the same thing. We're cleaning house. If there's someone in this congregation that is sinning in this pornea, this immoral way, we're to take out that leaven. We're supposed to take out that sin. And just like we clean house, we clean house internally in the synagogue. We take that man, we take that woman, and we put them out. We clean house. And we say, you know what? We love you, we care about you, but you know what? There's discipline coming to you because we can't tolerate. If we allow you to stay in this house, if we allow you to stay here among us in holiness from the Lord, you're going to contaminate the whole congregation. The whole congregation will be contaminated. Sin will permeate here. We can't tolerate you because 
you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt all of us. And so church discipline, what Paul's teaching us, just like Passover, you guys clean house, get your house cleaned up. And now you're ready and pure and be the unleavened bread that you're supposed to be. When he talks about unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that's our job. We're supposed to do that. That's on us to do. God gave us the principle. Christ demonstrated for us. And we're to do the same thing. Take that immoral brother, immoral sister, and put them outside. Okay. Okay, so that is the principle. So we covered the problem, which is porneia, immoral sexual behavior. We covered the principle, which is to take out the unleavened, or excuse me, the leaven, take out the leaven, take out the sin, just like Passover to clean house. And now we do the application. So last few things we'll talk about this morning is application. Okay, so here is Paul's application, verses 11, 12, 13. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you're to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay, so here he's telling him, okay, you got the problem, you got the principle, and now you're supposed to do it. Take the um, immoral brother, the one of sexual immorality, and he expands it here. It could be greed, could be idolatry, could be valor, could be a drunkard, could be a swindler. Don't even eat with this person, okay? And he goes on to say, purge the evil from among you. So he's getting it very clearly here. You can't miss what he's telling you here. You find that brother, you find that sister, and you don't even eat with them. Don't spend a meal with them. Don't even associate with them. And he's talking now, not just in the synagogue now, He's probably talking out when you guys are out playing tennis, when you guys are out rock climbing. Don't even spend time with them. Don't even do those things together. Purge that evil from among you. So it's a pretty strong principle here. Now, in my mind, I, I think Paul's jumping a little ahead. He's like, oh, there's a more person to throw him out. There's a process in scripture and what and how to do this. And you guys know where this comes from. It's Matthew 18. Matthew 18 gives us a process for doing it. When you have sin in your company or sin in your presence, you are to address them one-on-one. -on -one. You are supposed to go to it. It's not just Pastor Hans or Elder Gordon or the deacons. You are supposed to do it. You, as part of the congregation, are supposed to do that. When you have sin that's been done against you or you're aware of sin, you're to approach them one-on-one. -on -one. You go one-on-one -on -one to that person and say, hey, I'm aware of something in your life. I'd like to approach you about this. Is this true? And you, and you go through the process. Now, if that person repents, you're done. You're in good shape. You've done what they wanted. They've come back to the Lord. They repented of their sin. You're done. If that doesn't happen, then you take someone else with you. You might take two people with you. You might want to take a church elder with you, take a pastor with you, take one of your cell leaders with you. And now we approach that person and say, you know what? You didn't repent the first time. Now I'm here with a brother. I'm here with a sister. We are concerned about you. Something serious is happening in your life. We see this trend. We see this pattern. We see this porneia in your life. We've got to get this out. And now this person is confronted with two or three persons. If they repent, you're done. He doesn't need to go any further. That person's come back to the Lord, they're part of the synagogue again, you're in great shape. But if the person doesn't repent, now you come. Now you come, now you have to get Pastor Hans or myself or someone, or your leaders, or you bring them before the whole church and you say, you know what? This brother or sister has pornea in their life. There's something going on, and we publicly 
We've had to do this from time to time. It's difficult, but you have to publicly bring their sin in front of people. It's a terrible, hard process, and we don't want to do that, but that's, that's scriptural principle. And when you do it, it's a very difficult, hard thing to do, but it's what God commands us to do. It's the right thing to do. And when you do this, now you have the principle, and it's called excommunication. Excommunication means it's, it's the principle I've been teaching all along. You take someone from the synagogue and you put them out. You say this loved brother and sister, our beloved fellow member, someone that we loved and we had fellowship with. Now we don't have fellowship with you anymore. We're breaking fellowship with you. We're not going to eat with you. We don't spend time with you. You're not part of our fellowship anymore. Now, I just want to make clear here, if they want to come where anywhere a non-Christian can come, where a tax collector can come, they're welcome to. They're welcome to come to service. Welcome to come to these things, but the intimate things of the body, the things that involve Christians, they're no longer welcome. You can see what's happening here. We're trying to break their spirit of sin. We're trying to teach them that something very serious is going on in your life. We want you to break them of that. Okay, so as soon as I put that word out, you guys are all thinking excommunication. Isn't that what they did to Martin Luther? Isn't that terrible? That's what the Catholic Church did to Martin Luther. We don't want to do that because Martin Luther, what he stood for, was separation of sanctification and justification. He was right to do that. He wanted to say, you know, the church is not infallible, which the church was saying, and he stood up for that. He wanted to say that the Pope is not infallible, and we stand up for that. And look what happened to Luther. He got excommunicated. But the process of excommunication in the 1500s from the Catholic Church was a little bit different. When that church, the Catholic Church, excommunicates Luther, they said, we are damning you to hell. It's a little bit different there, because they said, if you're not part of the Catholic Church, you're going to hell. You have to be part of the Catholic Church, and that's what they're damning Luther for. And, and Luther, I stand here, I can do no other. He can't back down, even though in some ways he's being cast to hell, he couldn't back down. Now, when we as Christians do it, we're not doing it to condemn someone to hell. We're doing it, as Christ told us, to put them outside of the church in order to what? To bring them back in. When they did it back in 1500, you're out of the church, you're going to be burned to the stake, you're done. So it's a little bit different. So I want you to think of excommunication not in terms of the Catholic Church, but in terms of the scripture. When we excommunicate someone, we're putting them outside the church in order eventually to bring them back in and teach them about sin. It's a little bit different here. Okay. Okay, so let's go on. Uh, let me review this again. Let's see if we understand this. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother guilty of sexual immorality or greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler. We're to excommunicate someone not just for porneia, we're to excommunicate someone for greed, we're to excommunicate someone for idolatry, excommunicate someone for being a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler. Second Thessalonians teaches those that are idle. If you're not working, we're supposed to actually put you out. Um, Romans 16 teaches us if you're causing divisions, factions within a church, we're supposed to put you out. Okay. So I'm going to try to go in this process a little bit deeper. So maybe we understand this a little bit better. So in the Old Testament, when you were guilty of porneia, idolatry, reviler, drunkard, swindler, actually when you disobey your parents, you're supposed to be stoned. Okay, so it's a pretty heavy thing here. You think about that. Okay, so Old Testament taught us that when you do these serious crimes, you're to be stoned. You're not to be excommunicated. You're just like, you're done. It's kind of like Catholic Church. And thinking, wow, is God changing his mind? Is Paul changing the criteria here? Because now you know we're, we're to excommunicate. But in the Old Testament, why is God changing? Why is God changing from stoning these people 
to just kind of putting them out of the synagogue? And I think that's a good question. And I was going over this with the ACFers on Friday, is that in the Old Testament, the Israelites are under a theocracy. When you're under a theocracy, you're now the civil government as well as the spiritual government, okay? So there's only one you're accountable, accountable to, and that's God. Under God, there was no one to execute capital punishment except you yourself, the Israelites. So God in the Old Testament being our government as well had to execute capital punishment. So under those times, we would say they were the um, moral body, the civil body, and the ceremonial body. So under the civil part, they had to execute civil capital punishment. I haven't explained it that well. Okay, now in the New Testament times, and maybe we can relate now under the US government, we are now have a civil government over us. God is not our direct leader. He's appointed the US government as authority over us. So God is still our ruler, but he, now there's an intermediate in between. Now the civil justice, the police, the capital punishment, all the things happening on your campus, your campus police, that's all given to the civil authorities now. So the church is no longer responsible to execute capital punishment. We're leaving that to the state because God put that state over us. We can relinquish those duties. We go back to a theocracy, and I think then we're responsible for it. But God put, again, the government on top of us now. And so when Christ says to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more, it's not like he's breaking Old Testament law anymore. He's not saying, you know what? That's what God said in the Old Testament. Now I'm just going to let this woman go free. There's a change here. And as Christ is implementing this change, and he tells that adulterous woman laying on the ground who's about to be stoned, go and sin no more, he's saying, you know what? We're leaving the capital punishment to the civil authorities. You're now under the law of Christ. No, go and sin no more. Repent and go sin no more. Be part of the synagogue again. Be part of the fellowship believers by putting your sin away. Put the pornea out of your life and don't do it anymore. And if you do that, you're restored. So again, I hope I'm explaining that well, but there's a little change here going from stoning to excommunication. And I hope I'm explaining it well, that reason why we're not stoning anymore is because the principles have changed because our government has changed. And now we're to excommunicate. And it's the same principle, we're putting someone out. In the Old Testament, they put someone out to kill them. Now in the New Testament, we're putting someone out to bring them to repentance. Okay. Okay, so uh, we excommunicate, we take this person, we put them out. And so they were part of our fold. I don't know if you can see this picture, you're all these sheep are happy inside the fold, but there's a few sheep outside to deliberately put outside the fold, you deliberately put outside the synagogue, you deliberately put out of the fellowship. You're not to eat with them, not to spend time with them. You're deliberately put out and that's called excommunication. So I hope I'm explaining that well, or as best I can to understand the principle that Paul is giving to us here. Okay, so uh, let me give you a, a worldly way to do excommunication. When we were in Shenzhen a few years ago, uh, we were visiting uh, this family, very nice family, and we were walking around Shenzhen and we we're like, wow, this city is really modern. This city is really amazing. But what amazed me more than the, mod the modernness of the city and how much they'd built was me. You know, I'm always looking at cars. I love looking at cars and traffic. And, and I see these pictures of China. And I expected, you know, just when there's like two or three lanes of road, you expect five lanes of traffic, you know, just piling in on each other. I expect bikers to be going everywhere, jaywalkers going everywhere. And I was like, 
That's what kind of what I expected, which is seeing a Chinese city. When I got to Shenzhen, I found that the traffic was very orderly. I found that they were driving the speed limit, that they weren't honking each other. The pedestrians were actually waiting on the corner for their light to turn green before they went out into the, the crosswalk. And I was thinking, what is going on? I, this is not what I expected at all. So our host in that city, he said, Gordon, just look up and you'll see why. So I look up and I'm looking, and what did I see as I looked up? I saw these cameras, cameras everywhere. I mean, and then I started looking, I was like, wow, you know, there's, a, there's, and there's cameras on every traffic light, there's a camera on every corner, there's cameras uh, on every pedestrian sidewalk, there's cameras just up and down the sidewalks everywhere. And he said, Gordon, these cameras have changed our city. And he said, the facial recognition on these cameras is so good that they know exactly who you are, you know, where you start from, where you're going to, how fast you walked, how fast you drove, even if you honk your horn. And I was like, really? That's amazing to me. And he said, yes, if you speed, if you jaywalk, if you things, you will get the ticket by the time you get home. I mean, it is so fast, you know, there's mailing it out to you. But the real thing that got to me said, okay, so if you do a crime, not only we get the ticket mailed to your home, you will see your face up in public. You will have this, your face displayed in the upper right corner. They show your face. They show where this guy jaywalked. They show how fast he did. They showed all the pictures. All the, you can't really show those pictures, but they show this guy jaywalking across it. They tell you your name. I mean, he calls this is the wall of shame. If you're up here, man, everybody knows who you are, what you've done, what your crime is. And like, you're embarrassed, your family's embarrassed. And he said, Gordon, this has stopped you know, all the crime in our city, all the speeding, all the jaywalking in our city. And he was really proud of it. And for an atheist country, I would applaud them. I think for an atheist country, they did something good here. They stopped jaywalking. They stopped speeding. They stopped all this crime. I like, hey, I, I like it. And, and um, I thought that was really good. Okay, so we think about that. We think about what they've done here for, an, for a country. I would probably applaud them. I think that's really good. Have they really done a service for the person? Okay, so for the, for the roadways, for the pedestrian, for the traffic flow, they've done what they needed to do, absolutely. Have they changed their people? Have the people become better citizens? Have the people loved the country more? Have they become more loyal and caring about their fellow citizens? And that's the point I want to tell you about, is that when we take sin seriously here in our church, you deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So there's the principle. We want to wake this person up. We want to put them outside the church. But what? That his spirit might be destroyed, uh, destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. And I want to emphasize this as we close today, that the reason we're putting them out it's the second half of this verse. So his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Here inside the synagogue, here inside the church, there could be shame. There could be, you know, humiliation. We're trying to shame one humiliation, but that's not our goal. Our goal is not to shame someone. Our goal is not to just point someone out and say, look how bad you are. Look at that terrible thing in your life. That is not our goal. That might happen, but that shouldn't be the end part of the process. The end of the part of the process is that we're restoring that person to bring them back into the body. So shame and humiliation might be part of it, and that's where the Chinese government might leave it, but that's not where the church leaves it. When the church does this, when Christ does this, when we do it, we're to restore that person, because what we're doing is we have a desire of discipline which flows from love, that we love this person, we care about this person, we want this person to be restored. 
you know, in a Chinese culture, it's so hard. Like, I'm going to lose face. You make me go out in front of public. You, you announce this in public. It's going to be terrible. I'll never be able to show my face here again. But it's just the opposite. If we get beyond our Chineseness and our own honor and our own saving face, we'll be able to see that this process is the best thing for us. It's most healthy for us. It's going to help us the most. It's going to help us grow the most. We'll be better men, better women, better church, better synagogue for the Lord. As we desire for repentance, the world will see that we're not about shame, that we're about restoration. We're about love. We're about forgiveness. We're about bringing that person back to the Lord where they enjoy forgiveness, they enjoy fellowship, and they enjoy something that could never have been done if that sin stayed in their life. We love you so much that we want to bring you back to repentance. So you have to understand the whole process. Don't short-circuit the process or don't think this won't work because we're only shaming someone or this is too embarrassing or this is too humiliating. That's only part of the process. The whole process here in chapter 5 is to bring us back to the Lord, to bring us back where we belong, to bring us back to a place where we have better fellowship, deeper fellowship, more meaningful purity in our church than we've ever had before. So it's not a good process. And I told you earlier that PCC has had varying degrees of success with discipline. I think like any marriage, we're married to Christ, or any marriage that you guys are married, realize that marriage is a long-term process. Sometimes you get things right, sometimes you get things wrong. But if you bail out of that marriage, and you say, you know what, this is too much, I can't stand it, you short-circuit the process. And here in church, I want you to give us the same um, leeway that it's a process. We're working it out. We don't always get it right. But if you understand what Christ is doing with the church, that he's making her her holy bride, his holy bride. He's purifying in the church. He's working with us. And so you go to any church, like, I don't like this church. They don't get things right. Realize that Christ is not done with the church. It's not like Christ is done with us as people, just as we're not done with us as our marriage. We continue to refine and restore that. The same thing is happening to our church. So be very careful about judging our churches and saying, you guys didn't get it right. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. We're part of that process. Endure the discipline. Endure the difficult times. Endure the things that will bring us back to the Lord. And it's a hard, long process. Okay. I decided not to share those stories today, but if you want to ask me, I'd be glad to share with you uh, some of the things that PCC has gone through through discipline. I, I'm not ashamed to tell you about the things we've done right or wrong, but... Um, it is a process, and it's a very difficult process. I ask you to pray for us. Um, and in some ways, you guys don't want to know about the stuff that goes on. It, it is not good. But what is good is the fact that God never leaves us. He continues to restore us and bring us back to his presence, those that belong in the synagogue. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I'm thankful that you're patient with us. Lord, I'm thankful that you are hard on us, too. You don't spare us when we sin. You call out deeds in our life that are porneia, that are illicit, that are selfish, that are destroying ourselves. But you care about your church, and because you care about your church, you won't tolerate this sin, even in your body, even in this synagogue. And I pray as men and women of this body, we learn to accept that discipline because you love us, because you care. May we be part of that process. May we be faithful in that process. May you help us, Lord, to execute it well in order to bring glory and honor to you in this world. May the world, when it looks at us, know that we love you 
because we discipline each other, forgive each other, and bring us back to repentance. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, ask the worship team to lead us. Please rise.